This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Morning, everybody. Happy day 91 of Rishi Sunak's Government of Professionalism, Integrity and Accountability. And welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by my fellow Mirror columnist and Associate Editor, Kevin Maguire. Good morning, Kev. Morning, Foxy. Yay! Branding. Bit of product. Yeah. We like now this is the people's pay-per-view so get into the comments ask us your questions those of you listening later on podcast are just going to have to pay what you owe to the tax man instead <laughs> so what have we got for you this morning well the mirror has splashed on the fact it's 1995 all over again and tory slees is throttling a government in its final days just as john major a nice enough bloke by all accounts was bedeviled by slees cash stuff brown envelopes and edwina curry so Rishi Sunak, by all accounts, also a nice enough bloke, even though he has no working class friends like us, Kevin, um, mm. is set on all sides with people who don't pay their taxes until the National Crime Agency starts investigating them. Don't go to a bank when they want a loan, but instead go to the chairman of the BBC and a long lost cousin and some stupid bloke who doesn't obey the rules of the road when it comes to seatbelts. Now, Kevin, is any of this Rishi's fault or is it just a horrible legacy that he can dump in the lap of Boris Johnson? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both, and it's how he responds, uh, Foxy. Well, certainly the seat pelts his second fixed penalty fine. After That's the... all him. That's all Rishi, isn't it? What an idiot. I mean, you're basically recording yourself in the back of the car. And I know politicians have done it before, but you, we live in a different time where it's going to be picked up on social media and there's going to be calls for you to be fined. So he, so he was. That's stupid. Yeah. I think the real, the, the real test of him, because as you say, it's less than 100 days ago. He's an unelected prime minister. He's on the steps of Downing Street. He said he's going to rule with integrity, with professionalism, uh, transparency, accountability. So it's how he deals with these scandals. He's appointed Nadim Zawari. We want to know exactly what Sunak knew about his tax affairs and dealings with uh, HMRC and paying £5 million or, or so what, uh, whatever it was, in including uh, a penalty to settle that. We want to know. Johnson is a great threat to Sunak because he's kind of pushing and uh, hopes for his own comeback. But there, it is, what does Sunak do about the chair of the BBC? Because BBC chairs and director generals have been appointed with political baggage, some of them close to Labour in the past, but I've never come across one that while he's in the interview process and waiting to be appointed by the Prime Minister, is helping broker a guarantee for an £800,000 loan. I've never come across against that, any anything like that. And I think unless Richard Sharp, the BBC chair, can push back completely against it, and he hasn't because he's admitted putting uh, Sam Bly, the very distant relative of uh, the then Prime Minister Boris Johnson, his Canadian businessman, uh, in touch with Simon Case, the Cabinet Secretary. Well, yeah, when you go for dinner or chat to people, Foxy, um, like normal people, we don't have the number of the Cabinet Secretary. We can't do these dodgy, smelly little deals. 
I, I just think if you're going to defend the independence of uh, the national broadcast of the BBC, and I'm a, a great fan of the BBC, I cannot see how Sharp can stay in, in place. And it's up you to see. Does he want, does he want politics corrupted, public yeah. life corrupted, or does he get shot of it? You have to have a chairman who doesn't look like he somehow bought the job. Yes, that's a very good way, yeah. Pretty boils down to that. Um, now, someone pointed out to me on social media last week that actually, for Rishi's in one of those cars that Rishi was was sat in, it's most likely that if you you if their car can sense someone sat in the seat and the seatbelt not in, that you're going to have the ding ding yeah. ding going on. So he would actually have had to either turn that off or plug the seatbelt in in order to do that video. It's not just a case of I forgot to put my seatbelt on. It's on a momentary lapse of concentration. It is genuinely ignoring the warnings that you're about to break the law. So, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely right. Look, my six and a half year old Sunland built uh, Nissan Qashqai pings away if somebody doesn't put the seatbelt uh, on. So those alarms in in that car would have to be either, as you say, switched off or they plug the the seatbelt in. So they knew what they were doing. It's just. It, it beggars belief that they just took it and somehow thought they would get away with it. And I think it's a it's a kind of cavalier, don't care, do what we like uh, a, approach. Because there's one person, a, a Johnson Spurs spokesman, asked about these these meetings with Blythe and Sharp and arranging the loan. And I said, yeah, dinner, you know, previously discussed it. So what? It's almost as if you get governments can begin to just rot where they think whatever they do is normal when it clearly isn't, and I think that applies to Zawari too. Whoever it is, yeah. well, is let's, let's go through these one at a time now. Get into the comments, everybody. Ask us your question. What do you want to know about East Lee's allegations? Have you caught up with it? Do you want to know the detail? We can take you through it. So let's try and take them one at a time. Most of us know what's happened with the seatbelt. I think we've done that one now. Park it, as it were. Um, but then there's Nadim Zahawi. Now, he sold, apparently, £20 million worth of shares in the polling company YouGov when he entered government, because you're not allowed to have outside interest when you're in government. You have to, you have to shut all those down. But although he was one of two founding partners, they weren't all his shares. In fact, they belonged to his dad, who just happens to live in Gibraltar. So when he sold them, he thought he wouldn't have to pay all the tax on it because they weren't his. But he still sold them when he entered government because you can't be in government if you own shares in a major polling company. So why did he sell them in the first place? And they weren't his. So what, why, why did he sell them, Kevin? I don't understand. If the allegation is that as far as the tax man is concerned, then Nadim Zahari's shares and he owes the tax on it. That's plainly what they've decided. But as far as Nadim Zahari was concerned, they were his father's shares. Then why did he need to sell them when he entered government? Yeah, and were they, were they, uh, were they linked to this uh, Gibraltar trust he's uh, said to have uh, access to? The, the, the truth is, Susie, there are loads of unanswered questions. Because Zawari, when he says he's been transparent and open, or Sunak, who Prime Minister's questions last week said he'd, uh, he'd, he'd dealt with it, Zawari had dealt with it. Um, I'm sorry, it's not the case. We need to see the correspondence and the details and the, tra and the transactions. I think that is the only way he can survive if he is if he publishes all the documents and the correspondence and is grilled by MPs 
and or the media. So the detailed questions can be asked because he hasn't been straight. And we know because they, uh, the uh, let, let threatening letters are now being uh, published. He's used heavy duty expensive lawyers to, I would argue, silence and intimidate those who tried to get to the bottom of his his dealings. Now, there's there's no trans transparency there. There's no accountability there at all. He is now chair of the Conservative Party. He's, he goes around the country trying to get people to vote Tory, rally his troops, sell government policies. He can't do any of that. He's hiding because the moment he comes out, he's going to be legitimately asked all these questions. And it's kind of worse, I think, during a cost of living crisis when people are having to uh, um, make ends meet, worried about paying supermarket and gas bills. And you have a government saying there's no money to pay public service workers. Well, public service workers are funded in part by tax. And who hadn't paid tax until the HMRC got onto him and, uh, and, and forced him? and had to pay a penalty, hey, Nadeem Zawari is supposed and to be the front guy for this government. And it all raises concerns, of course, again, it raises, raises back again the fact that uh, Rishi Sunak's own wife didn't pay tax in this country. No, that's right. And, yeah. The whole idea of the, the ruling party being full of people who don't pay their taxes at a time when everyone else is being told there's no money in the pot is probably not a very good look. Now, as you pointed out there, Nadeem Zahawi is the chairman of the Conservative Party. Now, at the time that he settled this debt or was having problems with this bill, he was Chancellor of the Exchequer and technically in charge of the tax man who was coming after him. So well done, the tax man, for keep going, because it proves that you are genuinely impartial. Um, but it's that's what shouldn't have happened. And he's supposed to have told Boris Johnson's proprietary uh, and ethics people or the cabinet secretary that it, because I think he didn't think he had any ethics people left at that point. I think they'd all resigned and run away. But uh, he was supposed to have told them that he had this investigation, but they still appointed him as chancellor anyway, thinking it was only going to be six weeks, of course, at that point. Yeah. But now he's chairman. And one of the jobs of a chairman is to fundraise for your party, to go around the country, trying to get donors, trying to get rich people, giving you more money. I mean, to be fair, the fact that the chairman of the Conservative Party is a very rich man who doesn't necessarily, who sometimes uses perhaps offshore means of uh, of not paying quite so much tax is going to really appeal to all the people who might want to donate to the conservatives isn't it i mean he's the perfect chairman in that sense of course they're going to be donating to him yeah the, the conservatives are very uh, attracted to to people who uh, use uh, unregulated financial services and uh, want them want them promoted uh, if i'm ever in uh, accused of anything i want to be investigated by whoever is the prime minister's uh, ethics advisor at the time and simon case the cabinet secretary because nothing seems to to happen and they buy any old uh, excuse as we can see time after after time, but you're right. I mean, the worry is that the Conservative Party will attract money that is at, be at, at best dubious, uh, and at worst is is completely, completely beyond uh, uh, beyond question. Uh, it should be it should be rejected. And be ca very careful what I say. Uh, yeah, for, for legal for legal reasons. Yeah. <laughs> But you're right. I mean, like it, it comes down to whose whose side are you in politics? It almost always does. And if taxes are just for the little people, those who can't uh, uh, yeah, afford trusts 
and um, what, what I think most of us would call scams. Uh, we're not going to we're not going to have a fair, decent country with proper public uh, services. And, well, yeah. and if those, those who are if those who are loaded avoid uh, taxes, then the burden will fall on those who have a lot less money, and that's just plainly grotesquely unfair. Yes, people who, if they had a, a £5 million bill from the taxman, wouldn't know how to pay it. Never mind. Oh, fine, there you go then. Just write and check. Now, Mike says, reports that Zahari was denied a knighthood given some of the sleazy characters who've been given gongs by this government, not nuclear test veterans though, Mike, they deserved theirs, but they did have to argue for it. They must have thought these allegations were very serious and would come out. They did seem to know that it was all coming out and that as there are suggestions that Zahari was put forward for a K, a knighthood, and was rejected for it on the basis that he was not the best person to be having it. And this is the same kind of government, the same party that said David Beckham couldn't have one for all his charity work because he'd invested in a film scheme that involves some offshore tax stuff. I mean, that's nowhere near as bad. But anyway. Yeah, the uh, Foxy, the um, official concern about uh, the financial affairs of David Beckham may be a little wider than that. But what has happened in, in recent years in the honour system, it's probably the only bit of what I think is a rancid system that's uh, that's been cleaned up, is they do take um, greater note of uh, tax affairs now. So Nadim Zawari is reported to have been in line for uh, a knighthood to be uh, Sir Nadim uh, because of his work as vaccines minister, when credit where it's due, he was pretty effective on that. Uh, however, if you if you're in a dispute with the HMRC and you haven't to pay a pretty hefty penalty, then there's, there's no way now you would get a gong. In the past, it ha used to happen all the time. You could be a tax exile, you'd get it. It doesn't happen now. I think you'd have to be going to the House of Lords now. Yeah, you've got, that's you've good. Got your tax record. <laughs> yes, or a KGB spy or anything else. So, yeah. <laughs> um, of course, now. Um, we all pay our taxes, so we're available for knighthoods if anybody's got any floating about. And I do wonder what this government, what Suella Braverman, for example, might say if any other son of Iraqi refugees was later turned out not to be paying their full taxes in this country and having to be chased by the taxman for millions of pounds. I suspect she'd want to put them on a plane to Rwanda. And that's probably not going to happen to Nadim Zahawi. Now, keep asking us your questions. Do you think Nadim Zahawi should be fired? Do you think he's going to be fired? Do you think that Rishi Sunak's going to have to keep him on board? Let's wait and see, shall we? Well, let's get to the latest bit of this sleazy scandal, which is Mr Boris Johnson, former prime minister of this parish, who found that 160 grand a year salary and two free houses wasn't enough to let him keep his head above water. So a person who wanted to be chairman of the BBC, called Richard Sharp, who had at that point put in for the job but hadn't got it, said, I can sort you out. I know someone who can help you out, Boris, um, and introduced him to a millionaire called Chris Blythe, who would stump up uh, an 800 grand guarantee for a loan and who also just happens to be one of Boris Johnson's long lost cousins. I think it's probably one of one of everybody's long lost cousins in that same uh, rule. But, you know, he doesn't give money to us. But all this was so the prime minister didn't have to go to a bank and go through a credit check like a normal person, because the bank manager would probably have laughed him out of the building with his outgoings. Uh, and then, of course, if you do go to a bank and do a credit check, there's always a possibility that it might get out and get in the papers, Kevin. So thank goodness it all worked out the best as far as that's concerned. Um, what on earth? Are any of them thinking, Kevin? What are they? What are they thinking? Who would firstly? Who would want to give Boris Johnson, the most free-spending yeah. human being on earth, 
a guarantee of 800 grand because you're never seeing that again, are you? Who would then say, I have a job at the BBC because I've sorted out your loan? And who would then, as a prime minister, would think this is perfectly all above board? I'm not going to get in trouble for this. Yeah, yeah, Foxy, it's a back scratching, crony circle of over entitled, privileged uh, elite, isn't it? That's what it is. They're all just in this little club together. And they think it's normal behaviour and acceptable when it can't be because people are becoming beholden to each other secretly, financially. And hey ho, what, what's this? Sharp, who knows uh, Su uh, Sunak as well, very close to him, Tory Dunner. All of a sudden, he's chair of the BBC. Whoa, I'm sure it had nothing to do with it whatsoever. No, it stinks to high heaven, and it's it's always. Now, with the concern, it's back to the future. This is going to what happened with John Major, the last Tory leader to, to lose power, lose a general election. What sleaze, scandal, sordid behaviour pulled him down and people turned against a tainted, toxic Tory party. And we're seeing it all over again. It, the rot, I think, really set in with Johnson. Some of it is just carrying on. But what is Sunak doing to clean it up? And you mentioned earlier he, he thought there was nothing wrong with his uh, multi-millionaire heiress wife having um, a non-dom status to avoid um, paying tax in the UK on overseas earnings. Didn't think anything wrong with that. Didn't think there was anything wrong with having a US green card so he could just head over there and work if he liked, uh, if he ever got fed up with, uh, with, with British politics. He's somebody without any touch or sense of, uh, of, of how a, a, a country should be run and what's considered acceptable and reasonable and and what isn't. But anyway, it's just, there's, an, there's another little world, there's a little magic circle at the top of the Conservative Party who, who just think all this behaviour is is normal and it's the shrug of the shoulders and the nonchalant way they look absolutely outraged when sunlight is shone on their world and said, hang on, isn't this a bit iffy? Isn't this a bit odd? Isn't this wrong? And it's, whoa, we've done nothing wrong. It's just, it's how they... they how do. And they're not going to run a country for the benefit of everybody else if the 0.001% is just looking after itself. Yeah, as Boris Johnson's spokesman said when he was approached with some of these allegations about Richard Sharp, so what? Yeah, there we are. So what? I think the fundamental problem here, about, perhaps about Rishi Sunak who is a hard worker, who um, is trying to do his best in Downing Street to some extent and is uh, not quite as bad as Boris Johnson by any means as far as the morals on that are concerned. Um, he, he just, like you say, he just hasn't got that touch. He hasn't got that awareness of how this stuff looks outside the bubble that he's been in for so long. Perhaps that's because he hasn't got any working class mates, Kevin. Yeah, as he, as he said. That's uh, one. Yeah, ask, him for, ask him for ask him down the pub for an orange juice and uh, and just you know make friends. Well, I always remember when he went. Uh, he was chancellor. Uh, he went to fill up his uh, well, fill up a car, as it turned out. Else's car. Of course, he had to borrow the car from from, a, from one of the petrol station workers because his own was too big and looking too grand. And then he went up to the uh, card reader to pay, and he'd never used contactless before and didn't know how to do it. I mean, he tried to scan his card on the barcode reader. Didn't yeah, he? I mean, it was like, it, it was it was gloriously naff. But if you can wear 500-pound uh, shoes onto a building site, uh, then you don't really worry about cash. And again, I, I'll come back in a cost-of-living crisis. I think, I think people are pretty forgiven. 
uh, by and large. I think some land over forgiving. But in a cost of living crisis, you don't like any any of this even more because you're struggling and you don't feel you've got somebody in Downing Street, somebody in government who understands your life, uh, is on your side, going to make it better, uh, and has a bit of probity. Yeah, some sense of how it looks or smells would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, maybe a bit of confidence and a bit of professionalism as well. Yeah. Uh, is that too much to ask? I don't think Probity, so. Accountability, just thinking of a few words that at random that popped into my head. Now, mm. as Mike says here, Zahari would be mad to resign. As Rab and Braverman showed, if you brazen it out, Rishi <laughs> is too weak to remove anyone or one faction or other of the party will go for him. I think that's the bigger question here, isn't it? Is how Rishi's going to handle this mm. because he seems very reluctant to fire anybody. In his party, his his position in, within it isn't really strong enough to exert mm. the control and the probity that he needs, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, Mike makes a good point there. Uh, of course, there's D Dominic Robb accused of multiple bullying cases as an investigation go. Any protests his innocence. In fairness, that that should be said. Although we saw over Afghanistan when he stayed on his uh, sun lounger as the Taliban uh, entered uh, Kabul, uh, he's, 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 not, uh, he's not a guy to uh, show any uh, shame, while Suella Braverman's uh, sacked as Home Secretary by Liz Truss for multiple security breaches, the then Tory party chair uh, said. Um, what, within a week, because she's agreed to back uh, Sunak so they can have a coronation, make him prime minister. She's in her uh, old job, and her you know, Holocaust survivors accusing her of using uh, absolutely violent vision rhetoric that uh, sort of reminds her of the the Nazis who dehumanized people. Uh, and she, she, the problem is not uh, not quit. So I can I can see. Uh, if he's got so many problems, he must think he can't lose them all. But is he strong enough to, to get rid of them? Because part of his party just does not want him. He didn't win an election of MPs, never mind the Tory party, or, heaven forbid, the British people. So he's there and in a very precarious position. And we saw Boris Johnson pop up in, uh, in Kiev, in Ukraine. Get on yeah, the front no, page of the papers again. Rishi's, Rishi's position within the party and in the polls, where he's lagging a lot, would be strengthened if he just arbitrarily said, right, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. This isn't how we're going to do it. I think that would pick him up in the polls. I think that would improve his standing generally in the grassroots of the party. You didn't get to vote for him this time. And as Joe says there, you know, he says, how embarrassing is it for those who voted Conservative? Those who voted Conservative last time might feel slightly better about the prospect of doing it again. Why doesn't he just show some cajones? Right, you mean, uh, Alan Shua, you're fired. I, I, think, I think he's probably uh, taking more of the Love Island approach than he, uh, somebody somebody running The Apprentice. Oh, God, the idea of Suella and Nadim coupling up. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, you could... You, you've, you've said that, now I'm thinking about <laughs> it. Or, or actually, and any of them. coming in and no, wanting to recouple again. No, no, uh, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. People talk about Rob down the gym. Only 9 o'clock in a Monday yeah. morning, Kev. It's all too much. Uh, I know, but he... <laughs> 
I think he, he could try and improve his image. And we, there was a poll in the Mail on Sunday yesterday. Uh, people think he's got a minus 10 poll rating, doing a bad job. Keir Starmer is plus 15, so there's, 20, there's a 25-point gap there. He could soon act, possibly by sacking some of these uh, dodgy ministers, find himself thought of as better by the public, but he'd weaken himself and his party. And at the moment, this is rule by and for the Conservative Party. It's it's not about the country. It's about him clinging to his job in Downing Street. So he's, uh, his tenancy uh, lasts longer than that of, of Liz Truss. No, he's, he's almost, he's doubled. He's, he's served twice as long as the last Prime Minister. He's the most successful Prime Minister they've had in about uh, three months. So, you know. <laughs> well, he, do, he doesn't want another one to come along at Easter, does he? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? It could be, by the time they've got through everybody else in the party, it could end up with Rob in Downing Street. So let's not, let's try and hope Rishi sticks it out till the next general election. Otherwise, things are only going to get worse. Now, thank you, everybody, for your comments. We're going to move on to the next story now. Uh, and we have to talk about limping on and something else Rishi's been reluctant to do uh, all year. And for months and months and months now is talk to the striking workers or their unions about their requests for better working conditions, uh, health and safety and so on uh, within the NHS uh, or their pay. And they've repeatedly said the unions that they will take an offer and they want to negotiate. They want to come to the table. And here we are today, Kevin, with the general secretary of Unite saying that they'll take a 10 percent pay offer. Now, it seems to me. Firstly, that the negotiations are happening in the papers, which is probably a bad idea. And secondly, that the union's position is coming down and down and down and down, while the government is actually holding fairly firm. I'm, I hate to say it, I'm aware you might explode, but is this the unions beginning to crumble? Because they seem to be asking for less and less. Yeah, I think they're, they're professional negotiators. Uh, it's what they do for living and they they look for you know, common ground uh, all the time um and normally employers will engage it'll be a dance between the the two while the government is just deciding to spend taxpayers money on these uh, disputes go, uh, going on and on and on we we saw the transport minister uh, that covers rail hugh merriman saying it would have been cheaper for the economy to have settled the rail dispute some time ago been going on since june last year rather than uh, just the government allowing tiny offers, blocking offers, attaching strings, cutting strings, and essentially going go, going nowhere. But, you know, unions, this happened in the 19th century. Employers would try and starve workers back to work. There's a bit of that going on with the government now, but it's losing the PR battle. That's, I think that's what's unexpected for, for, for ministers. Real strikes aren't as popular as they were, but there's huge support for nurses in particular, something by something like two to one, but the mm. government decided to to tough it to tough it out. But it's getting no political di uh, dividend for it. No, they don't seem to be looking tough or, or good as a result of it. But if the unions are keep having to offer less, then I mean, is this because they can sense blood and they know if they just sit I, uh, yeah. the government will tumble, or is it because they're actually having to offer less because that's the only way they're going to get anywhere? Well I, well, I think they know that every, I would have thought each strike after a certain point, people become more reluctant to do it. That's not to say they won't they won't do it. But if you're a trade union negotiator and you're rallying people and look, ministers can just spend our money uh, endlessly, uh, you know, taxpayers' money, but 
you know, trade union leaders now, uh, unions have limited funds, and people's budgets are, are tight. So they've got to appear reasonable. I think that's what they're attempting to do. They're being reasonable, while the government's just been very pig, uh, pig-headed about it. So, yeah, you go, you go to a point in many disputes I've seen over 30 years, when people are thinking, right, we just want to stop this and get out. Maybe there's a little bit of that in some cases, but I think the rest is they are trade leaders, they are professional negotiators, and however they're demonised and whatever scaremongering and the smearing of government ministers, they're also essentially pragmatic and reasonable at the end of the end of the day. Uh, I think it's the government that's taken the the ideological stand here and strikes uh, in this wave because the prices have soared and the cost of living has been absolutely battered down down a record level. They're essentially defensive. They're about people trying to protect their their living standards, hard won um, over many years and decades and then just vanishing very quickly. But of course, as well, if the government holds out a bit longer and inflation continues to come down, whatever they have to settle in the end will be less than they had to settle for at the start. So mm. perhaps that's worth bearing in mind as well. We'll have to see, won't we, if Rishi ever actually does do a deal. Uh, we'll have to find out how that goes. Now, uh, keep asking your questions, everybody. Get into the comments. We can wrap up at the end. Um, how do you feel about Nadim Zahawi? Do you think he should be fired? Do you think he should still be chairman of the Tory party? What do you think Rishi can do about the problems he's got and the sleaze? Um, and do you think that the unions should go for 10%? Do you think the government should do a deal bring everything to an end? Uh, get into the comments and let us know. <clears throat> but first off, there is some good news in the world. We found it for you. And here it is. Now, a, um, a seven-foot Wookiee called Chewie uh, was for some reason the name and the inspiration for a Chihuahua, which was also called Chewie. And Chewie the Chihuahua uh, vanished in Batley, West Yorkshire, seven years ago. And presumably it's got a hell of a temper on it, and that's why they reminded it of a Wookiee. But um, it was found when police went searching the home of a suspect in a completely different thing, and they searched the suspect's home, and they found a Chihuahua there on its own. So they took it to a vet, had it scanned, found it had a microchip, and they managed to return it to its owners from whence it had been somehow misappropriated nearly a decade earlier so Chewy's back home and that's good news for him and his family but Kevin is this proof that you should always microchip your pets so they know what they get up to and perhaps we should do the same with some of our errant politicians too I think I'll say some of our children actually (laughs) (laughs) I never tried that with mine uh, some of the politicians it would be worth James Bond got chipped didn't he in the back of the neck why can't we do that when they go into Downing Street it should be part of the deal we could have have trackers on them although some some probably uh, bracelets on early release Uh, just tunes in and goes you're not wearing your seat belt what about just what about injections of common sense and decency how about that we could uh we could do but i yeah yes in terms of a chip i i chip my cats when i had them i I, you know never needed to do that but the i'm glad these uh people have got their dog back but i kind of hate people who nick dogs and cats and pets because it's really upsetting for the you know 
for the family's concern. They just lose, you know, lose their animal. It's awful. They've lost seven years with Chewy. I don't know how long Chihuahuas live for, but uh, seven of them have been spent somewhere else. Hopefully, uh, it seems to have been well looked after wherever he was anyway, which is one thing. Um, but, yeah, his owners have, have lost that time with him. And Chewy is probably quite confused as well. So uh, at least he's back home. And if you've got a pet, please get it chipped. Please use your common sense. Um, whether they're nickable or not nickable, it's just best and it's really cheap and easy to do. And you do know that if your pet ever goes missing somehow, he will find he or she will find their way back to you. And if we could just find a way um, for MI6 to actually start putting those uh, little monitoring microchips into uh, members of the cabinet, I do think that um, we'd, we'd find that injection of common sense and property, which otherwise they all seem to be bereft of. I think you're very optimistic, Kevin. You've actually managed to end a Monday after Monday morning being ridiculously optimistic about the state of politics. Well done. <laughs> you live in hope. You live in hope. hope. There's, there's always a possibility for it to improve. Right. Um, thank you, everyone, for taking part. Thank you, Kevin, for explaining all that to us. Thank you, Nadim Zahawi, Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak for being so completely useless at your jobs. Uh, and we will see you all again on Wednesday for another edition of the News Agenda. If you're listening to us on podcast, please leave us a review. And if you're listening to us on YouTube, hello, everybody. We're there now. Um, I don't think your comments get picked up on these, but we'll try and find a way to do that in future. Thank you very much, everybody. And we'll see you all again next Monday for another edition of the News Agenda. Next Wednesday, sorry, for another edition of the News Agenda just before PMQs. Bye bye.